This is John McKay uh, with another session of Extracting the Best of Every Day with Dr. John McKay. And with myself today is uh, Josh Rutherford, uh, VP of Corporate Development for the AgriFi Extraction Division, as well as co-founder of Pure Pressure. Welcome, Josh. Hey, thanks, Dr. McKay. It's awesome to be here. Appreciate the uh, uh, opportunity. Yeah, I think it's a, a good session. I think one of the things that um, we were just talking about off camera was a lot of people look at extraction and they're thinking about they're thinking about um, you know a solvent based extraction or they're thinking about how it uh, works with ethanol or or propane, butane. But a lot of the things that people miss is the efficacy of of how you can take a plant itself and being able to, you know, extracting the trichomes at different sizes, as well as from there um, pressing in a uh, ethical way. I, I do go back to, uh, to one thing that, that I always like to start off the show was, and that is what is the best extraction or concentration? And that is B stands for uh, the botanical integrity of the plant. And it doesn't matter what the plant is. In this case, we're going to be talking a lot about cannabis, but it's the integrity of the natural components. After that, if you want to start to do other things with them, start to um, decarboxylate or to add things, take things out, that, that's the prerogative. But the real goal is, is on the first one is just to be able to take and, and have the plant itself. And E out of best is um, extraction, efficacy, efficiency, economy, and efficacy comes first, making sure that what you have is ethical so that you're giving something to the, to the uh, user, the, the patient themselves, that they're, that they're getting that, that true um, product that's safe. Mm-hmm. And economy and efficiency come afterwards. And so some of the things that we'll be able to talk about, I'm curious about is, is the efficiency. And you know, certainly there's a lot of different ways of doing solventless extraction. We'll talk about some of those. S at a best is safety and safety throughout the entire process. And so within that, I, I go all the way back to the growing. I go back to you know, the early days of watching people spray pesticides inside of, uh, inside of hangers. And uh, that was kind of alarming. And, but it's also all the way to the growing where even in the early days of the trimming, watching, you know, scissors from CVS and you're just going, oh my gosh. And meanwhile, you're, you're petting the dog next to you. And that's, that's part of the safety all the way through the process of, of the equipment itself. And I think that's some of the things that uh, I want to touch on and kind of curious about with uh, pure pressure and some of the products that they've made that on the safety side and, T on best is for testing with modern technology. And that not only goes with the testing of the product itself, whether it's a COA or, or the process, but also, you know, when you're designing something, is it going to be safe? And so that you, you have the ability of making sure that something under uh, a certain amount of, of pressure is not going to break and, and, you know, spray everything all over the place. And I think those are some of the things I'm curious about too, but mm-hmm. As I as I go through before I even get to the to the part of 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 um, of the uh, the components themselves, a little curious about I'm always curious about how someone moved into this technology and and I'm the old guy so I'm 68 along the way but 
as I'm going through, I'm watching the, these young inventors come in with some true CAD designs and, and other things, but I'm guessing it didn't start off with a CAD design right off at first. No. How'd you get into this? Yeah, I mean, always been very passionate about the plant um, since the very early on days in the industry. I was fortunate enough uh, to go to University of Colorado Boulder. Um, so, you know, was engrossed in Colorado's market, which was the first to legalize um, and go medical. So it was an amazing opportunity to hop into the green rush, as I like to call it, um, you know, on the early on days. Um, and, you know, it was started in the growing um, and being so fascinated, you know, by the plant. And, you know, it was the trichome heads. When are they ripe? And, you know, people are growing for genetics um, and breeding, you know, certain genetics for different types of extraction, let alone flower, um, you know, and you can have the best of all worlds. Um, and I strongly believed that. And there was people doing hydrocarbon extraction. There was people doing, you know, going straight to distillation through like an ethanol process or, you know, a CO2 process. Um, but solventless wasn't, you know, known for being a viable type of, you know, extraction. Um, and, you know, so me hearing that, you know, uh, with the entrepreneur mindset, um, basically, you know, looked at what people were doing in the hydrocarbon community, um, you know, they, the technologies that we're able to adopt. And, you know, I think that's key here. You know, I'm not about repurposing equipment. Um, I believe that, you know, the industry needs industry specific equipment um, because of the finicky um, and finesse associated with the different types of genetics. Um, you know, there's a right time and a right place for every single genetic. Um, and I think the breeders right now and the push that they're making right now, um, we'll be having grows that can go to all three types and it's going to be up to those, you know, growers, whether or not they want to sell to a lab or they're fully integrated, or they want to take it all the way to flower, whatever the best, uh, situation is for that grow in today's market. Um, because as we know, depending on which state you're in, um, the, it's like a roller coaster up there with the pricing. It is. And there's, there's three things that always come to my mind. There's a speed scale and selectivity mm -hmm. and through those processes. I mean, if someone's doing, uh, 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 you know, collecting the trichomes and collecting the trichomes from a specific variety or strain, and then from there, making their own product at home. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much how I'd first seen a lot of the different water hash or different types of, of um, collection of the trichomes. And on your side, starting off with the, the plant itself and understanding, okay, this is how the trichome has grown. These are the, these, this is the chemical um, biosynthesis of the, CBG, CBGA, so I'll start off with CBGA or, or, the tri, or the terpenes. And then from there, you go through the synthases. The synthases make the next um, um, specific isomer of, of a cannabinoid, the, the THCA or the CBDA. And what you're trying to do is, is capture that on the very, from what I hear, or what I feel from you, and that is B. B is the very 
most important part of a best for you because it moves into into the e yep. and so you're collecting those trichomes what's so from a different variety of a plant do you see what is the what is the trichome for, for yeah. our audience yeah so i mean when you have a you have a stalk you have a neck and you have a head um now the head is you know what we all consider full melt bubble hash um and that's if you're going for ice water types of extraction um and full melt would be that cleanest um you know bubble hash experience um and that's normally between a 72 and a 120 um, micron head size so basically you have different screens um, as you go through your ice water extraction so you have all your biomass you're agitating it with ice water and then you're filtering it in multiple areas um, of basically like a filter stack so you'll have your 220 up here and your 25 down here and a bunch of different grades in between now as you're filtering that water through those heads based on the size whether or not it's a broken head a stock um or just that entire head, which is the goal. Now, those heads are very delicate. Um, you know, if they're mishandled, um, they basically just explode. Um, they literally are, you know, you can ruin your full melt bubble hash just as much, you know, growing it, harvesting it, agitating it. Um, so all of those are crucial components to having success in ice water type of extraction. Now, what I will say about the head and, and solventless extraction specifically is, so you have your stock and then you want your neck to be very thin, you know, ready to break off of that head. So that head is so big and you're, and that's the type of genetic that it wants to break off from a little bit of agitation and just falls off. And normally the temperature of the water is one of those key indicators, not as much the agitation the agitation is very important but you can be very delicate with the agitation that's why you see a lot of people prefer to hand wash over um automated washing now people have washers with vortexes on the bottom but the rpms that those take you're really can you create full melt hash absolutely but art can you create the maximum amount of full melt hash you know my answer would be no people might disagree with me because of the agitations and RPMs that you're moving that water and how much clashing it's doing within that ice water extraction. You know, that's why when we decided to develop our ice water extraction automated unit, we went top feed, trying to replicate what people are doing from a paddle, but having the repeatability, consistency, and recipes and patterns. So basically, your patterns that you would pre record then could be created into a recipe now that recipe could be for that specific strain because that's how you maximized your yield of that strain now joe schmo can come on this equipment now and get that same exact result so that is the key as well as scale right you can scale by doing different batch sizes different vessels but moving them in and out of the um you know agitator because the agitator should be agitating in my eyes at all times um you know you should be filtering over here you should you know it shouldn't always be housed in your agitation machine um so we took a completely you know different um angle associated with 
um, ice water extraction than a lot of different companies um, who, you know, would consider us competitors. Um, you know, I really love the push and the innovation that we're seeing in every single type of extraction, um, as well as genetics and breeding um, and growing. Um, you know, like the VFUs are amazing. Um, you know, the hydrocarbon side of things, the way people are automating there um, is amazing. But, you know, when it comes to solventless extraction, it's the most delicate, um, you know, and going back to being the viable side of things, not every genetic works for solventless extraction. Um, you know, you have your gelatos, you have your, you know, more chem dogs, GMO, you know, everyone will say GMO hits its numbers, um, you know, and there's those different components of those genetics. Some things are more water soluble than others. You know, you end up losing a lot in the water and ice water extraction. So maybe you want to go to a, maybe a SIF type of technology. Now, going back to agitating on a uh, micron level, you're collecting all of those heads. And like I said earlier, 72 to 120 is going to be your full melt. You'll see when you're scooping it out, because then you're going to place it into trays, and then it's going to go into a freeze dryer. And that freeze dryer is going to freeze dry for 24 hours, um, 12 to 24 hours. Uh, and then basically you'll pull it out. You'll keep your full melt if that's what you want to do. Or you can just bring it all to rosin um, and you'll have your 25U, you'll have whatever micron stack that you did for your ice water extraction, and then you'll be able to go into your press. Now you can keep those isolated into those microns, you can combine them, um, whatever the user wants to do at that point or whatever makes sense for their business model, right? Um, you could make bubble joints from it. Um, so a lot of different components. And then when they're going and pressing that, they're basically liquefying that trichome, those trichomes, the stalks, the heads, um, depending on whatever they're putting in that press, using heat and pressure to press down on those on that bubble hash to get a higher yield. Can you press flour? Absolutely. You know, you're going to end up with your traditional 10 to 25% yields. But when you concentrate into bubble hash first, not only do you have multiple SKUs you can create from that bubble hash, but you have multiple SKUs that you can create post-production and have different grades of different types of rosin. Now, to make all your other SKUs that you see, diamonds, um, you know, pens, all of those things, that's all post-processing from what you end up pressing. So when I'm, I'm looking at each one of those, it's, uh, there's a couple of things that, that come to mind. Number yeah. one is, is uh, physics just mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm leaning towards the science side. And the other side is, is random analogies. And uh, so it does seem like you're, um, you've gone into the, uh, into the spring pond and collected the tadpoles. <laughs> yeah. And you're trying not to kill all the tadpoles, mm -hmm. but you're still trying to get them out of the, out of the, uh, I won't call it the seaweed, but the algae that's growing in there. And I'm not sure that that fits at all, but it's a word picture that came into mind and I, and I had to articulate it or I, I just die. So you're taking the tadpoles, you're being careful with them. You're making sure they're okay. So that later you can either sell them as frogs or you can, or you can crush them up. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. side. But when you're, when you're looking at, at that analogy of now taking those trichomes and if and if you want to bring them into a rosin for example mm -hmm. so um my my first uh experience with that was doing my own home chemistry 
and and taking out my my GE clothes iron and uh, and bringing it up to a certain temperature that was acceptable that mm-hmm. I could see, and then putting it on wax paper or yeah, and then and then two layers of the wax paper because you don't want it. If you got to iron your clothes afterwards, it's a tough go to have spreading rosin all over <laughs> all over your shirt, and and everyone notices. It's kind of like walking into a cat store with, you know, you know, cat food on you, catnip on you. Yeah. And so when, when you're bringing that technology, what were the, what were the steps that, that brought you to decide that this was a good idea to, to bring in, you know, chemical engineering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so my business partner um, in the venture, Ben Britton, uh, he was a mechanical engineer. Um, you know, and I knew the plant very well. Um, so when we got together, we wanted to figure out everyone's methodology was let's get it to, you know, about 200 degrees and let's hit it with as much pressure as we possibly can. And we're like, whoa, all right, let's take a step back here. Um, what is the most ideal pressure? Now, yeah. when you look at a type of hydrocarbon, you know, extraction unit, you look at, you know, their de-waxing their, or ethanol. Your solvent is so cryogenically cold now that you don't necessarily even have to have that de-waxing component. Now, you have to think about the same thing as when you go into your rosin press. So when you're going into your rosin press, you want to, when you're hitting it at as much pressure, let's smash it as hard as we can, you know, and get every, all the juice out. You're also pulling your fats your lipids, you know, all those undesirables that you don't want you and your pressure per square inch. And there's a great article on this, um, that we put out and, you know, um, graphs and, you know, all sorts of fun stuff showing that the pressure per square inch is very important based on your bag side and, you know, your plate size, you know, so it's always on your plate, your bag size, not necessarily your plate size. And the reason that is, is because your plates should never really actually be coming into contact. They're coming into contact with the surface area over your plates. Now, also a thin and narrow, you don't want square. A lot of people were repurposing, let's say, hair straighteners or <laughs> um, T-shirt presses, um, you know, to be doing these types of extraction. Well, you know, that's all fine and dandy and everything, but um, you know, I was frustrated, um, with another venture of mine, you know, of wanting to be in solventless extraction, which is why, you know, we're like, all right, we got to make a rosin press, um, you know, the ice water, and then we're going to get to ice water extraction because there wasn't the viability and there was that stigma associated with solventless extraction that just couldn't be, you know, there's no way that this type of extraction, um, was getting that stigma, because in my opinion, it is the cleanest, purest, you know, type of extraction, uh, most flavorful that you can be able to consume. And I look at it first, organic versus non-organic food that you buy in a grocery store, um, you know, uh, and, you know, that's the price points that you see in today's market. You know, you go into a, you know, any dispensary, it doesn't matter where you are, your solventless extraction is going to be fetching that top dollar. Now, solventless extraction versus, you know, like a hydrocarbon extraction, you know, they're both great, you know, um, but you're basically comparing to an organic or non-organic produce that you might be buying in your grocery store. And that's the price points that I think we'll continue to see to, today in today's market 
and beyond. Um, and, you know, the more breeders who are breeding for, you know, all types of extraction and flower and combining that, um, you know, it's going to be up to the extractor or up to the grower where they bring that product each time to fetch the highest dollar and make their business the most viable. Um, it is really important, in my opinion, to have industry specific equipment again and be looking at it from a scientific standpoint. And I joke about it all the time. We got to take the stoner science out of it, you know, and when designing and developing this equipment with my business partner, Ben, they we didn't want to change how people wanted to do things in this industry everybody's a master grower, which is totally fine. Everyone's a head extractor, which is totally fine. So I'm going to give you the best equipment possible and you can operate it. I want you to be able to operate it the way you want to. I'm going to tell you how I think you should operate it. And, but Hey, play with it the way that you want to. And, you know, please give me the feedback. I'm not saying I'm hundred percent, right. I want to be proven wrong. I want you to innovate you know, on this piece of equipment and have the ability to do it. So the way that you're able to control this equipment, you know, far outweighs using a hair straightener or a repurposed t-shirt press or those type of things, as well as you can build recipes. Like I was talking in the ice water extraction, same type of methodology in the rosin pressing, where you can build recipes per strain in different stages. So, you know, how it goes through, what pressure you're hitting at, you know, you can have a first press, second press, because I'm not saying don't hit it with everything you got. Um, what I'm saying is first press, maybe don't pull those fats and lipids. So you can make your premium grade A, you know, first press, then hit it with everything you got. Make your second press because there's a customer for both. You look at it like a red label, the blue label, you know, depending on, you know, where you're at that's and what you want to drink. That's where you're going to end up going in your price point that you can hit. I think it I think it brings uh, an interesting facet to the the industry and it allows based on what I've seen it allows you to have a price point for the customer's need whether it's personal or whether it's a, a small business or whether um, it's it's a, it's a larger business that's providing um, products for a dispensary and that dispenser, that company is going to want to have a reproducible product that's going to the dispensary. Mm -hmm. Each one of those things becomes important. So you have the FP, SP, and TP. I guess TP would be toilet paper. That'd be your third press. <laughs> but as you're going through each one of those, you, you, have, a, you have a product that, that they're willing to understand where that comes from. Mm -hmm. I think the other part that I had seen as a word picture, and that was you have your lasagna um, noodle, yeah, or or uh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yes, and then and then you have and then you have the thin ones. So because it allows you not to have so much heat based on on pressing, because mm -hmm. there's going to be a welcome to the three laws of thermodynamics. I'm sorry, it still works for cannabis. The three laws of thermodynamics are not exclusive to, you know, the chemistry laboratory. But when you do that and you press something, you're going to generate heat. There has to be a release of energy. And in this case, entropy and enthalpy, delta G, it all works. Mm -hmm. And so is that why you're using thinner 
plates and then multiples of those? And how does that, and I'm, I'm sure that the, the blog, I have not read the blog, but I'd be interested to see how the blog correlates to that sort of, of information. So each plate size that we release in each of our pieces of equipment correlate to a certain tonnage uh, within that equipment. So if you max out that plate, our goal was if you max out the bag size that fits within that plate, that you would be able to achieve that maximum PSI in order to get the best of the best um, types of extraction. Um, so we built our press around, um, you know, that, um, which is why we have a five and, you know, seven ton press instead of some of the 20 ton presses that you see out there. Um, we also decided to build on pneumatics instead of hydraulics. Now, if you go into a lot of uh, food grade facilities, you don't see a lot of hydraulics out there either, um, you know, and as well as the material, we take very seriously, um, you know, the compliance that is going to be coming down the road um, within the meshes that you're using. You know, you look at tea bags, you look at all sorts of different um, consumables that are food grade, but does it fit for this use? Um, and when going into how your plate size correlates and your temperatures, you still, we still leave that up to the user to set those parameters based on what they want to do. But, you know, we definitely give them, you know, a good starting point with some presets. Um, and you can preset, you know, and save so many recipes for so many strains, you might be able to fill out your entire genetic library within the press. Um, so any person at that time can come in and press. Now, you already know if there's a variable in your group. So you can correlate that to maybe it extracted different, or maybe there's no variability in your grow and you ran that same recipe. Well, now you can, you know, talk about your user of that piece of equipment, not necessarily blaming the machine or, you know, the product itself. It's taking the guesswork out of it. And I think that's what's the most important in the industry um, right now is that data associated with repeatability and consistency. Because yeah, as I look at that, it, it, if I was to look at it on a simple form, then I would have most people saying, well, how, how tough can it be to make a, a press? I mean, how tough can it be to make a press, for goodness sake? Yeah. And I can do that. You, you can. But when you're a company and you're providing products for a dispensary that's, that's got an, a, a rather large name, and you can look at some of the dispensaries out there that have significant uh, coverage across the United States or across the city. The last thing they're needing is, is providing a solution. They're not going to provide an, an avenue for someone to sell their, their material if it's not reproducible and the customers don't have a, a good satisfaction, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. It's like that <laughs> In-N-Out burger, you know, it tastes the same in Vegas as it does in California, you know, um, and that is important, you know, so, you know, and that's why I think that they've spread so, you know, you know, so slow, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of them out there, but they, you know, want it to, you know, hold that same taste, that same flavor and that same business model. And that's what we need within our genetics, our, you know, recipes, all of those things. Because if you're going to an MSO and that's who you know in your state and you're going to buy it in another state, you should be able to have some of those consistencies throughout that product. Same thing going back to red label to blue label. You know, it doesn't matter what liquor store you're going to buy it in. It tastes the same. Which is why I'm not a big fan of 
of In-N-Out Burger. There's different products I like of it, but I'm not a big fan of the French fries. I don't know why. I just oh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm not. I just, you know, maybe maybe In-N-Out Burger will send me a coupon and see if they'll change my mind. But it, I don't. I don't know why it is. Talking their burgers, not their French fries. Let's be clear here. Let's on be home. clear. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but. But the reason I won't go to an In-N-Out burger and order French fries is because I know they are reproducible from place to place. <laughs> exactly. What do you got? Exactly. What do you got? <laughs> so but as I'm looking at that, so then through this model, you you and Ben started this. And uh, from my understanding, it started at a, you know, just a social event. And then from there, you know, thought maybe you might you might make a couple of these and, and maybe a couple of friends would buy them. And 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 out of uh, serendipity and either good luck or bad luck, it's it's turned into a significant business that it actually, by the time it was done, caught a major organization called Agrify. Mm-hmm. And they came in and made another major investment. But that it wasn't it wasn't as though one day you guys were sitting at a at a breakfast table in a breakfast restaurant and said, hey, Boulder, what the hey, you know, we ought to make one of these. And Agrify called up and said, wow, this looks like a good piece of paper on a napkin. Let's go with it. So yeah. what what was that route? <laughs> Oh man. I mean, it was, it was a journey. Um, so, you know, we made a Frankenstein model to kind of prove some of the scientific backing that we thought about. Um, and we put some, you know, made it pretty on a CAD image, you know, to yeah. make sure that we knew, you know, we had the frame, we had the structure, we had everything that, you know, we, we needed, uh, to make it into a product and we're like, okay, let's see what the market thinks about it. So we released it on Instagram and you're like, throw it at us folks. Um, and you know, the inquiries were unbelievable. Um, and so we ended up selling the first 10, I think in the first week that we released those CAD images. And that's what Ben and I literally hand wired, hand welded everything, um, within these units. And the other component that I really want to make a point on is those people who bought those first 10 units, are able to have the technology that we have today. They have the touch screen compared to the little keypad that we put on there. Um, you know, they're able to update the firmware. We made these things and engineered them. Um, you know, the skill set of, you know, Ben and the team that has helped us um, create this was absolutely amazing to um, service if it needed to be serviced. Now, you know, the product itself is a beast. It is a workhorse. Um, you know, it shouldn't have any issues or errors or anything along those lines relating to, um, you know, not being the next iPhone, for example, where it's obsolete the next, you know, year and, you know, the customer service support, you know, behind the products is there. Um, you know, if our customers are having issues, we also have, you know, training and consulting, you know, to make sure that, you know, our customers are successful, you know, within our equipment, because, you know, cannabis is a learning curve, uh, solventless extraction is a learning curve. Um, and we want everyone to be as successful as we possibly can. Um, it's really an interesting industry, um, and how it's shaping out. I, I am very excited to be a part of it. It's a blessing that, um, we grew it into what we did. Um, so we started the company in 2015 and we were aco- acquired, uh, you know, Jan 1 um, of 2022, uh, December 31st, 21. But in uh, Jan 1, uh, Ben and I and the entire uh, peer pressure team hopped on board of Agrify. 
And, you know, it has given us the tools um, and resources that we need to, we had a whole product, you know, plan and, you know, mission for the next three years, right? Well, now we can accelerate that. Now we have more and more resources, more team members from some of the other acquisitions and like-minded entrepreneurs from other avenues of different types of extraction all in one room. It is truly remarkable to be working with the people that I get to work with, which is one of the main, you know, reasons of when Agrify approached us of taking them very seriously on what they're trying to accomplish in the cannabis space, because what their vision is, is exactly what this industry needs. And to be able to be at the forefront of that and continue to be able to be a part of the corporate development of that and the industry is a blessing to me. Um, Just as much as, you know, do I want to proceed on my career? Absolutely. But you know, it is really about pushing the industry forward for me. So you must have had to, just based on, on what you're, you know, talking with you, and, and that is you had to be interviewing them more than they were interviewing you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, is it, is it, was it a right choice? Is it a wrong choice? You know, um, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, take anything back. I think it is a, um, great opportunity to be moving forward um, with Agrify and its partners um, because it is going to take over and be the number one. We are the world's largest equipment manufacturing company out there. Um, it is just a tremendous opportunity. I can't say enough good things about what Agrify is doing and has done. So you get to be a Joshua Amoeba. <laughs> yeah, I guess You're not so. a Paramecium, so... You're an amoeba, so you can kind of spread yourself out like a like a like a rosin and and uh, move your some of your entrepreneurial ideas as well as your experience and bringing that to the other divisions as well mm-hmm. as whatever they're doing moving forward. So you get to and because you have that plant experience, you can also my my experience with with of understanding Agrify is, is starting off with the plant and moving from the plant and some of the AI of that. So now you're able to see where the influences that goes through the different types of extraction mode. So it doesn't, it really doesn't, you're agnostic as far as what, of how a customer gets to, to be able to provide a product for the patient or customer. Yes. And so that's nice. I mean, that gives you a little bit of time and you got a couple of years left before you're retiring. So I'm guessing this is, <laughs> this yeah, is a I'd good say thing. So. I'd say so. Uh, you know, the stress of, you know, it, it hasn't come through yet now, uh, <laughs> but it is, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for the future. Um, you know, being able, you know, one of my other ventures, you know, I've typed I've, you know, touched, been able to touch the cannabis plant, you know, growing it itself. I've been able to do hydrocarbon extraction, distillation, CO2 extraction, ethanol, you know, so I've been able to touch a lot of the different components and channels um, of this space and of what Agrify has within their portfolio right now. So it's amazing. And those companies that they've acquired 
are the companies that I've had in my other venture, you know, and it's because they are the best of the best. And we are a lot of like-minded individuals uh, just trying to push the industry forward and give everyone the tools that they need to be successful in their business. That's the core of it. It really is, you know, and give them the data to be even more successful. So uh, I have one more question before I, before I set you free. Mm-hmm. And, and that is Colorado. Colorado's Colorado. Yep. And then, and then the other states, the adjoining states, everyone would say that, you know, every, every state's the same. And I would, I would, I would argue that one. And uh, because people need to travel around the United States and talk about cannabis and see what the reaction is from the different uh, citizens that have grown up in a regionally based state, not those citizens that have moved around the country, but the United States of America is, is 50 individual countries probably well actually around 52 because you got to bring in you know puerto rico and and such and when you look at that uh, let's just say the united states has a a one mode and and i and i'm not sure i believe that and so my understanding is you've gone over to europe and uh, one of the conferences over there how did you find internationally what their feeling was with solvent lists versus solvent based extractions. I'm just kind of curious of what your thoughts were. Well, I mean, fortunately, I've been able to experience like Spanibus um, and, you know, some of those international countries, um, you know, you have Amsterdam, you have Spain, um, you know, Germany is coming online here, New Zealand, Australia. Um, there's a lot of, uh, exciting, uh, countries coming online, but, you know, when we really look at going back in time of where hashish came from, came from international, the market of the United (laughs) States, you know, is far ahead of where the international market is. And there's going to need to be adoption there. And hopefully they follow a little bit of the model there they're kind of going at it at two different ends of the spectrum I see right now. Um, and they will align eventually. Um, but I'm very excited for what I see on the international front. I think that, um, people are taking it very seriously right now. Um, and you know, it's going to happen country by country though. Um, it's not like the whole entire EU is going to open up. It's going to be a specific country, um, what the local government is willing to do. And, you know, I think Barcelona is a, you know, unique, um, unique one as well. Um, you know, because they, it's similar to the kind of United States, I believe where, you know, they have their own, you know, province laws. I might not be using the right terminology here, but, um, you know, it's a different sector of, you know, Spain. So there's different components of why they have social clubs there, but not into the entire country. Um, so it is a very big next step for cannabis um, and the movement of international expansion. And I, I think we'll see a lot more MSOs and a lot more um, equipment manufacturing companies, stuff like that be popping up all over the world. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate all your time. And uh, it was a great catching up with you and uh, finding out more about what you're thinking and, and, and where you came from and what you're doing. Other than that, I, I'd only known about you a little bit through the uh, social media myself. So it was a, a real pleasure catching up. Yeah, definitely. You. Appreciate you, John. Talk All right. You. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.